Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I'm so happy to have you join me today for an amazing show with Gabrielle Stone. But before we start, if you are a new listener, welcome, welcome. This is the show that will educate, empower, entertain, and inspire you to live the most fearlessly authentic life. Because in my opinion, why are we all here if we are not living our most fearlessly authentic life? Easier said than done, which is why I have this podcast. So just a reminder also to please rate, review, and subscribe. We have a five-star rating. You can find um, the podcast, Fearlessly Authentic, and you can find me at Jody Harrison Bauer on all uh, social media platforms and on YouTube. So you can check out me and my guest during the interview. Check us out. Don't do it while you're driving at YouTube uh, at Jody Harrison Bauer. So I want to get right into introducing my guest today, Gabrielle Stone, who I came across on TikTok. And I just loved her story. I loved what she was talking about. It was so, it's a story of, of love and really um, embracing your fear and exploring who you really are to come out at the other end um, more evolved and in love with yourself. So a little bit about Gabrielle before we start. Gabrielle Stone is no stranger to the world of entertainment. Growing up on set with her legendary scream mother, Dee Wallace, from Cujo and E.T., she had days of licking off mommy's fake blood and watching behind-the-scenes movie magic. Seeing the world with mom and dad gave her the travel bug at an early age until Gabrielle experienced a real-life horror when she lost her father suddenly at age seven. After many years in the industry herself, Stone transitioned from media acting roles to writing and directing. Her award-winning films, It Happened Again, Last Night, and After Emma gained her awards for writing, directing, and acting. But she had a bigger role in life that would soon present itself. Freaking badass. After the rug was vigorously pulled out from under her, when her husband's affair came to light, she found herself falling into the arms of another man. After a second failed attempt at love and a massive heartbreak, she decided that instead of landing flat on her ass, she'd make a career out of it. And so came the birth of the book, Eat, Pray, FML, where she shared all the mistakes, all the lessons, and most importantly, how she became a fearless leader from it all. When fans around the world demanded more, the highly anticipated sequel, The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl, and the podcast FML Talk were born, and Gabrielle soon realized that her broken heart had bloomed a movement. Good afternoon, and welcome to the show, Gabrielle. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, too. I feel like I know you because I read your book, and honestly, I'm so jealous because I wish that I had that experience that you had. I got married at 24, and had my kids at 28. So when you were talking about being traveling in Europe for those 30 days at 28, I was thinking, oh my God, 
I, I had my first child at 28. And so when I got divorced at 42, I, I started doing all the things that I probably should have done in my 20s. I didn't go to Europe because I had children and I was a single mom and I didn't have all that time. But talk us through, did you know the adventure you went on after you you found out that your husband was cheating at you? I want to start from the beginning. So let's start from when you had feelings about things didn't seem right with your marriage. Yeah, I, I was married for almost two years. We had been together for five. Um, I think there were a lot of red flags looking back on it now. Uh, the biggest being he was never really comfortable or okay with my career as an actress. And it was a lot of jealousy whenever I was on set and very possessive, not wanting me to hang out with anyone from the opposite sex and just very controlling in that way. And it would cause big dramatic fights between us that were then always fixed with lots of tears. Recording in progress. I'm, I'm so sorry. Let me, you know, take you to dinner and it just, you know, um, very toxic ways to fix the problem at hand. And I kind of just always told myself, you know, we'll go to therapy. We'll work through it. It's not the easiest career to watch your spouse be in. Um, and things kept progressively in that department getting worse. And I think that was kind of like the first big red flag, um, in the relationship for sure. You know, I've heard that type of thing before I, I had it in my marriage. I'm now married again, but when I was married for 17 years, it was the same thing. It wasn't um, never a cheerleader for me. And in all this searching that you've done on yourself and you've done a lot, um, what causes women to be in relationships like that? Um, I think there's a myriad of different things. For me specifically, I had grown up with a fear of abandonment. I lost my dad when I was six years old pretty traumatically. I then lost my high school sweetheart when I was 18 uh, in a car accident. And those two events had really created a subconscious belief in me of when I love someone, they die. And which at the core of that is fear of abandonment. So I had been unconsciously attracting men into my life that were going to prove that belief to me in different ways. So I attracted my ex-husband who abandoned me in the most heinous way possible by betraying my body and my trust. Um, after that, I attracted another man, which I'm sure we'll get into eventually, um, who abandoned me before we were going on a trip to Europe. So it for me, I was in those relationships because I hadn't healed that part of myself to be able to attract something different in the future. Um, but I think people end up in these relationships because they either don't know their worth or they're deciding to settle and maybe this is good enough, um, even though it's not great. Or we want to be loved and in love so badly that we put these blinders on and excuse behavior that's really not excusable. And so when you married your first husband, um, he seemed to be the picture perfect thing. Your mom even said, he's going to be the one for her. She's going to marry him. Was Mm -hmm. Was it that you wanted to please the other people around you? Is that why you chose him? Do you think? Because you then you admit, you know, I really wasn't in love with him. 
you know, it, and I think that's a very common thing too, is that we fall in love or we love that person, but we're not truly in love. And then we experience mm-hmm. true love, like we're going to get into. Um, so that was actually, and I love how you thanked him, but going back to when you made that decision to marry him, you thought this would be it, right? This, this was going to be the relationship for you, or did you have any type of hesitation about it? No, I mean, I think at the time I, I thought I was in love with him and everything seemed really great other than the contention around my career and the problems that that brought up in our marriage, um, or in our relationship at the time. And I think for me, I was very clear that this was like the person that I was going to be with deep, deep, deep down, like deeper than I would have been able to consciously acknowledge or realize. I think I, in the depths of my soul knew that this wasn't going to be forever. Um, but there's no way in hell I would let my brain realize that or entertain that notion. Um, once we were all wrapped up in, in planning this wonderful wedding. Yeah. I, again, as a much older woman, I'm 62. I can relate to so many of the feelings that you had um, in in that marriage. You know, in everything that you went through, except for the the cheating part. And I want you to explain to everybody listening what exactly happened. What was the demise of your relationship? Well, the cheating is all written about in the first two chapters of the book, and I really wasn't planning on doing that at first. I was kind of just going to say, so I got cheated on, I got divorced. And then all this stuff happened because that's really like where the story is. Um, and my girlfriends were like, no, 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 no. Like this was like finding, watching an episode of CSI. Like you have to write about this. So I did, I did go back and write about it. Um, but more or less, I, I found all the receipts when he was on a work trip and, it just kind of unraveled from there and became very clear what had been happening for six months and who it was with. And I, I found all of the, the proof and the evidence that I needed. And that was all I really needed to file for divorce. I mean, I was very thankful because if he wouldn't have made it so easy for me to walk away, I don't know how long I would have been stuck in that relationship trying to make it work because I felt like I had made this commitment and we took vows. So we should be like continuing to go to therapy for years on end. And um, it would have been a really terrible situation for me. So I'm very thankful to him and the girl that he was in a relationship with for kind of giving me my freedom back and giving me a second chance at life. I love the way you looked at that because I think so many women who have gone through this don't realize this until it's over for a while. And maybe it Mm -hmm. took everything that you went through to realize that. But I know you're probably sick of people telling you this from reading the book. You are so brave. And (laughs) no, that um, never gets old. (laughs) Okay, good. You are so brave. And to have said, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm better than this. And you hadn't even started to peel away all the all the layers yet. But even in that point, you weren't saying to yourself, oh, I want to work on this. Oh, I want to take him back. Oh, I'll overlook the cheating. I'll overlook all the bullshit he's telling me. He really loves me. No, you knew it. You, you deep down knew it that this was not going to be for you. And you filed for divorce. And I was, I was so proud of you. I was cheering you on as I was reading the book because it's a tough thing to watch your child go through something like this because all we want as moms 
is for our children to be happy because we are only as happy as our saddest child. So Mm -hmm. I was looking at it from my standpoint of going through a divorce and for all the girls out there or thinking about my daughter is going through something like that. You know, it's heartbreaking. So you were very brave and you were, I felt like you were really starting to stand in your truth. And I was like, you go, you go. I, I just thought it was great. And I think so many women are afraid to step into that truth and hold on to that power and say, I'm not going to take this. I'm better than this. And I think a lot of it has to do with you being this extremely brave woman and having an amazing role model as your mom. She said, I'd love to meet her. Yeah, I, I do agree with that last part. I think that she at a very young age taught me through, you know, our life experiences from losing my dad and and that whole scenario, how to kind of like push through life when it throws bombs at you yeah. and um, how to not be a victim, but use the situations that happen in your life to really shape you as a person and make you stronger to like push you off to that next point of your life. So what happens next? Tell us what happens after you file for divorce. <laughs> I filed for divorce and drove away from my house thinking this is going to be like the beautiful new beginning I've needed. And thank God I got out of that when I did. And I'm going to be single for at least a year and focus on myself because I'm never single. And the universe said, ha fat chance. Yeah. Um, and I met a guy and we fell madly in love with each other over the span of five days. And it became this kind of whirlwind romance that went from zero to 100 of like, meet my family. I'm going to have babies with this person. Like we're done. Um, And suddenly it all made sense why I had to like get cheated on and leave my marriage so that I could meet this person and all was well. Uh, He invited me on a month long trip to Italy. And of course, at first I was like, you're crazy, but when are you going? Um, and he said September 4th, which would have been my two-year wedding anniversary. And the date he was coming home was October 4th, which was my late father's birthday. So by this time I was like, okay, universe, I hear you. I'll go on the trip. Bought my ticket. We were together for a month and a half. Everything was like blissfully happy. Um, met his mother, his sister, like immediately became part of their family and really just connected on a lot of different levels. And 48 hours before we were getting on the plane, he told me he needed to go by himself and broke up with me. I was absolutely devastated. This man broke my heart like my ex-husband never could have done. And I was sitting at my mom's house on my bed because that's where you move when you're 28 and get divorced (laughs) and was in a pool of tears and said, okay, well, you can either stay at home heartbroken or you can travel Europe for a month by yourself. And my bag was already packed. So I took my backpack and I did six countries over the span of a month. And I wrote the book, Eat, Pray, FML. And his name is? Beautiful name. Uh, his name, in, his name in the book is Javier. Okay. All right. Oh, well, I didn't know that was, okay. I should have realized that you, that's not his real name. Yeah. But, all the, all the names in the book are changed. <laughs> oh, they really are. Okay. Yeah. You really did change everybody's name. Okay. All right. I didn't know that. Um, So that again was a very brave move. And I could hear when you were talking about your mom, you know, she didn't really want you to go, but she really wanted you to go because it's yeah. very hard to let go of people we love so much but we know that this has to be now this this is your time to understand who you are and hopefully you come back there was no way you could have come back the same although maybe some people do but you were so open to exploring and how afraid were you to do something like this 
I was terrified. I mean, the only thing I knew about hostels when I was flying over to Europe was that there was a horror movie about them and people get brutally murdered in it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I had, I had seen Taken. I was like, this could go very. <laughs> I know. I was surprised that you were staking, staying in a hostel. Um, yeah, but- I mean, especially with the way my life was going, like this could have gone very downhill quickly. Um, but I just knew in my heart that whatever I was going to experience on this trip was going to be very impactful and very important and healing for me as a person. And I knew that if I could write that in a story um, and in a book form, that it could probably help and heal a lot of other people that were able to read it as well. Did you know when you left that you were going to write a book? I know that you went to see The Healer and she said, write, 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 write. So can you get into that a little bit? Because that yeah, I love. Yeah, that was actually like months before the whole divorce even happened um, oh, okay. when I kind of was like suspecting that there was something off, but didn't really know what it was. And she's like, I really need you writing. I need you writing. I was like, I don't have anything to write about. Like, I don't have any screenplay ideas. Like, I I don't, I don't know. Um, And then of course I end up going on this trip a few months later and the idea just hits me like, oh, I'm going to write a book. Um, And I knew the day after he told me that he was going to go by himself, that uh, it's something that I needed to do. I just heard it and decided it. I went the next day and bought a leather bound journal and wrote three fourths of it by hand on the trip. Um, and it just was the most healing therapeutic thing I could have done for myself. Um, being in real time writing about my experience, but also just allowing your emotions to come out through your body physically onto a piece of paper. It's, it's a big release and it's a way to kind of process everything as you're going through it. Isn't it interesting to think that at 28 years old, you thought you knew yourself pretty well and you're very insightful and you, you believe that things happen for a reason. I'm the same way. I get it. I, I definitely aligned with so much of your thought process throughout, except that I never went to Europe by myself. Maybe I still will. Um, hey, there's but, always time. Like there is, it's never too late. Is so it's, life-changing. Like do it no matter what age you are. <laughs> I know my sister just went out to Sedona and I'm like, I'm so proud of you. She's 58. Yeah. And I'm I like, and so I said, she's like, Jody, you should do it too. And I'm like, I think I will. I was going to take yeah. my daughters, but maybe I'll just go by myself. My daughters can do it. With, I'll do it with them another time because yes. that, that alone time, I think, is so important. But going back to your story it, that at 28, you think, OK, I think I know most of what I should know about myself. I'm I'm always looking inward. I think I'm aware, self-aware. But it is you talked about the um, thought onion. Was that I love, love, love that. And you talked about that throughout your book. And is that something you just created? I've never, you know, I've heard about peeling back the layers, the onion and so on and so forth. But I loved how you kept that consistent through the entire book. Could you share that with everybody? Yeah, it's something I came up with on the first day of my trip on the streets of London, trying to figure out what the hell was going on inside my head. Um, And it's kind of a an easy and practical way that you can dissect your thoughts and your feelings and figure out what's at the core of them. Because we can, when we can figure out what's at the core of our thoughts and emotions, it gives us a lot of insight as to what we might need to heal to have different sort of reactions or emotions in the future. So it's called the thought onion. I always said I was going to rename it because I was like, this is such a lame name, but then I kept continuously doing it throughout the trip and it just stuck. Um, 
I think it's and good. yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's very makes to sense. the point and makes sense. Um, but you look at it like the layers of an onion. The first layer is the superficial thought. And that's kind of your initial reaction, knee jerk reaction that you have when you're in a situation. Um, and it's usually very superficial. You st- uh, peel that layer back and you get to the authentic thought. That's kind of like the emotion that's within you that is causing that reaction to come forward in the first place. Um, and underneath that is the subconscious thought, which is where the real like meat and potatoes is at, which is usually a long stemming trauma or an unhealed unconscious belief. And when we can get to that and be aware of it and start to, you know, heal that, there's a lot of opportunity to, to grow and heal and have different reactions in the future. I wrote so many of them down. I was looking through my notes to see which one I wanted to pull out, but I'll, I'll get to it as we keep talking. Okay. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to something that I like started crying about at the beginning of the book. Um, when you say to your soon to be ex-husband, you know, you're filing for divorce and you're writing him and the woman he was with a note. And I think this is very important for so many people to hear because it's a good way to heal yourself. So you are giving yourself the um, the love, the respect to move on. You're not, mm-hmm. you motherfucker, you know, you're not doing any of that stuff because that doesn't help you or them, right? Mm-hmm. So, and wishing ill on somebody is like not the, something I've ever, ever done before because it's just not good karma. And you talked about karma a lot too, but you wrote, thank you for giving me the ability to choose myself, to know that I am enough and that you did not deserve me. Wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you for showing me how strong I am because I will come out at, out the other end of this so much stronger than before. Wow. What was going through your head when you wrote that? While I was sitting in our house with it half empty now that I had taken all my stuff out of it and I was waiting for him to arrive to be able to get the process server to serve him the papers. And I just had so much overwhelming anxiety. The only thing I I could figure to do to get some of that out of my body was to sit down and write to them. Um, I obviously, this wasn't a letter I ever gave to them. I just published it in a book. (laughs) So yes, they've both read it, just not from given by me directly. Um, and it really, you know, it was very truthful and very honest. Cause like you said, the, the only person that gets taken down when you continuously hold hate and anger and resentment in your heart is you. Um, so I did an episode in the, like the first season of my podcast around forgiveness. And it was one of our most like highly debated episodes because some people really got it and understood it. And some people were like, mm, F that, like, I don't need to forgive people that have wronged me. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like they're still shitty people. It's not for them. Right. It's for you. Like the forgiveness is for you to move forward so that you can create the life you want and thrive. Like it has nothing to do with them. They very well might not deserve it, but like they're not walking around in their energy, holding on to this hate for you or being like, oh God, she hasn't forgiven me. Like they don't care. They're the people that hurt you in the first place. So it's really, for me, it was about kind of like getting all my thoughts and emotions down and then being able to release that in a way. Yeah, I went through something similar. I worked with a healer after my divorce and I, I 
did everything I need to so I wouldn't feel hatred towards my ex-husband because mm-hmm. it's such a bad thing to hold in your heart. Yeah. So we take we take off, we go and we meet with your friend from school and in London and you're getting you're getting your your footing, your grounding yourself there. You're trying to figure everything out. You're like, "Oh my god, holy shit, what am I doing here?" But but it was a good place to start because you knew this was familiar to you. And so I want to go through like where you went and if you could talk about a little bit how with each country you felt yourself evolving and becoming stronger and stepping into your your strength and your power. Yeah. So, oh God, it's been a while. I'm like, chronologically, you help you? Where, did, where did we go? So I, start, <laughs> I started in London um, and then went to Amsterdam, Paris, Barcelona, Mykonos, Rome, and then Sicily. Um, and it kind of, I didn't plan any of this. Like I, I literally knew that I was flying to London because that's where mine and Javier's flight was originally going to then connect to Rome. So we flew to London and he went on to Rome and I stayed in London. And thankfully I have a girlfriend, um, from call, uh, from high school and college who lives there. And she welcomed me with open arms. And, um, I was still very much like going out and doing my own thing and being alone during the day while she was at work. And it was kind of a get your feet wet in the, in the shallow pool, um, right. at first. Cause I had that comfort of not really tr- fully being alone, but I was still by myself in, in a city across the world, walking around on the daily. Um, and, I wouldn't decide what country I was going to next until I was in the place where I was supposed to be. Um, so it was very like last minute, which is opposite of how my type A brain normally works and plans, um, but was very, very good for me for that reason. And I feel like with each country I went to, you know, Amsterdam, which was after, um, I stayed at this woman's house who I didn't know, but a friend of mine back home had known this, this woman and like set me up with her to stay at her house. So she was a complete stranger, but it was like, there was a little comfort there because my, my friend from home knew her. And so it was kind of like a little bit further outside the comfort zone. And then when I went to Paris after that, that was my first hostel that I stayed in. And it just continued to kind of be like, okay, now she's ready for that next step. Um, so it went like that for comfort with me. I think the main through line too, that happened was, you know, my first day in London, I was getting on the London eye and I had this experience where, this photographer was like taking pictures as people walked on and he was like, Oh, are you alone? It's just you. And I felt so self-conscious of being alone by myself and each country I went to, it started to get more and more comfortable. And then from the comfort became like an empowerment. So it ended up being like, I felt like a badass for being alone and going and sitting at a restaurant and enjoying a meal by myself. Um, I became the one at the hostels that was like welcoming the new people in to try and make them feel comfortable. So there was definitely a big shift there in my confidence. And I attribute that to solo travel and which is why I tell everybody to go and do it at some point if you can, because I really realized how capable I was by myself and not only how capable I was, but like how much I loved being alone um, and really didn't have to be on anyone else's schedule and like could finally be alone with my thoughts and really like 
find out who I was because I was a completely different person than I had been thinking I was living back in LA with my ex-husband. It, you just completely opened up yourself to be vulnerable to Mm -hmm. every experience that you possibly could have. And I think that's so important as we get older that we do experience so much because with all of that experience, we, we allow ourselves to have richer experiences going forward. Whereas if we stayed in that shell, if you did stay married to your ex-husband who you wouldn't, you wouldn't be this person. So that's why I needed to write that. Thank you. Right. If you thought about who that woman was when you married him, like you're so different now, right? Uh, so incredibly different. Um, and I mean, you know, I do believe in everything happening for a reason, not in like the toxic positivity way, but I can look at even like the tragic deaths in my life and see how I've changed and grown from those experiences and why they in the long run shaped me into who I am and like benefited me in some way. Um, and you can look at my life as a blueprint. Like, of course I had to get cheated on and get divorced and then fall in love and get my heart broken and get sent on this crazy trip because it changed my entire career and like healed me as a person and like gave me this like beautiful new life that I have now. Um, it all makes a wild amount of sense to me. So there's that aspect of it. There's also looking at the trajectory that my ex-husband's life has taken, um, and the relationships that he's been involved in and really just being so incredibly thankful that I got out when I did before he turned into who he's become, uh, cause it's scary. And I, I can't imagine being trapped in something like that. Um, and to know that I was so close to it looking that way is really scary. And it is, I, I totally understand that. And when we step into our fear and we, we face it straight on because Uh, the reason my show is called Fearlessly Authentic is because I was always afraid of taking risks. Mm. So um, in stepping into our fear and embracing our fear, which is what you did when you, you embarked on this solo trip is when we like, we walked into the light, we walk into the brightness, we, we walk away from the darkness. I always see it as walking through a tunnel and seeing the light at the end, because we are stripping off all the layers of off the onion or off our clothes or whatever it might be. Whatever it is inside of us, we're stripping ourselves of it and we're walking into the light where we can feel our most authentic self. And there are always going to be times that we're scared. I'm sure you have faced fear many more times since the trip, right? Oh, yeah, many more. I I think fear is a part of the human existence and the part of life. It's just a matter of recognizing if that fear is there to push you and if it's false evidence that's appearing real um, and it's there as a challenge to walk through because when you walk through that fear, the magic is always on the other side of it. Um, or if it's a fear of something that's like actually valid, um, that's, that's, you know, kind of like an intuition and warning you of something. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think fear is part of being alive. And as long as we are making decisions and creating from a place of love and not fear. I don't think fear is a a negative thing necessarily. No, I think it's a beautiful thing. I, and so you also started reading from being an actress, you read a lot of scripts. So you were like, no, I'm not going to read. So that was another thing that you sort of changed on this. You were going to write, even though this healer had said to you, I need you to write, I need you to write. And you're like, "I, I got nothing. 
I got nothing for you. I have no idea what you're going to write. And that happens a lot when you go to healers, right? They tell you things you're like, yeah, I have right. no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> then you're like, oh yeah, that's what it was. So uh, you read a book that I have not read yet, The Alchemist. And uh, did that change you at all? You know, I I really enjoyed it. I got mm-hmm. a lot out of it. But my mom is a world healer. She right. is a spiritual practicer. Um, so I can't I can see why people who have not been immersed in that world would read this and be like, holy shit, this is life changing. And like all of these principles are like knocking me on my ass. For me, it wasn't like that because. I have grown up with my mom's teachings, um, but it still was a very nice reminder of some of those principles that I might have not had at the forefront of my mind while being in like the depths of despair of heartache that I was in. Right. Um, And it's also, you know, it's a quest. The the whole book is about a quest and that's exactly what I was on. So I resonated with a lot of kind of like going on this epic journey to kind of rediscover yourself. What was the scariest moment you had on this trip? Like, was there one moment where you felt, oh, I'm really scared. I don't know what to do. Like in fear of like your life, because you mentioned it in the book. And I was yeah, just- there there was a moment in Paris where it was just like, look, solo travel is very safe. I've this is the only time I've ever felt unsafe. Um, and this was because I made stupid decisions. Um, but I bumped into this guy walking on the street and he was like, let me take you around and show you Paris. And like more or less walked me into like the drug dealing, like sketchy parts of Paris, which Paris is like. It's very romanticized in the movies. Like it was my least favorite. I found it a little sketchy, especially like the part that I was staying in. Um, There were beautiful parts of it, of course, but like wasn't like the great romantic place that everybody describes it as, um, at least to me. And so that moment and like not really knowing where I was and being with this person that like was kind of crossing weird boundaries with me, um, was definitely sketchy. And I was like, okay, well, this could be the moment where I die. Um, (laughs) not the smartest decision on my point, but apart from that, I would say the scariest moment for me was in Amsterdam, um, which was the second stop on my trip. I had come home from walking around that night and, Uh, found out that my uncle had passed away from cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was this like moment of, I don't have anyone here to make me feel okay. Um, Mm -hmm. My mom was asleep. Like I probably could have called and woken her up, but like I knew that in LA it was the middle of the night. Um, I wanted to call Javier, but like my, my ego or, my heart wasn't going to let me do that. So that was the first moment where I was like, oh, I really feel alone um, mm. and had to sit with that and accept that. Um, and those moments I feel are oftentimes scarier than being in a necessarily like unsafe physical situation. And that's when you really have to count on yourself, right? And those were the yeah. times where that you had never really experienced that because you always had people around you who you could depend on and hug and hold and whatever. Um, yeah. But that's that's kind of hard to do is just really go, okay, I've got to sit with this and this is really tough for me to, to deal with right now. I, I can yeah. imagine, again, another step towards growth, right? Absolutely, yeah. And that was what the whole journey was, was like little moments of 
such like that, that really like made up this big gigantic healing journal, uh, journal healing journey and transformation. So, and in relationships, I know that you were holding on, you had fallen, mad, fell, fallen madly in love and you were hoping that the two of you would meet in Sicily at the end of the trip, right? That was the plan. Um, but things were getting weird between the two of you. You you didn't think you were going to want to have sex or meet up or hook up with anybody. You didn't want to do really casual. Um, but walk us through those, the not the sexual experiences, but the intimate relationships that you had along the way and how you felt you changed as well. Because the first one really sucked. That was like, mm-hmm. Ugh, why did I even do this? Yeah, I think the... Uh the through line and it's funny because this is what I get messaged about the most from readers is them connecting with me going through and thought onioning the stuff around my sexual trauma that Mm. came out. Um, and people really resonate with, with that, um, which was surprising to me that that was kind of like one of the big things that people really grasped onto, even in the sequel. Um, I get messages about that a lot, but I think, for me, the different intimate experiences I had on this trip, um, they each taught me something very valuable and important in a different way. And that's, you know, it's the age old thing of like, well, can you really regret anything? Because, you know, everything brought you to this moment and blah, 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 blah. Are there things I regret that I've done in my life? Of course. Like you're lying if you say you haven't. Um, but I can look at all of those experiences and know that they taught me a very valuable lesson in that moment. And I think the biggest kind of like overall through line was that I had been using sex um, and intimacy as a way to keep people close to me so that I didn't feel abandoned, Um, which is such a twisted kind of dark thing to come to light when you, you know, have been using your body and this intimate part of yourself that should be reserved for very special people. You've been using that to kind of use it as a protection and and a defense mechanism almost. Um, So there was a lot to work through around how to rectify that and how to come to terms with that. And then how to make sure I was having healthy, intimate relationships in the future. And did you feel like before you left Sicily, that the last time the two of you were together, um, well, at least you thought that was would be the last time. I don't. I haven't read the second book yet, the sequel to this. That um, that was the most intimate time you had with him before you left Italy. No, I think that um, I think the and a lot of this like comes to light in the sequel. I think the intensity that existed between Javier and I sexually was because that was the only time I felt truly seen and validated by him. So it was like, and that happens a lot in narcissistic relationships, in toxic relationships, when you're constantly searching for that next high from the person, because that's the only time that they really, really want you so much. So you constantly want to be in that type of a situation with them. Um, And it took me a very long time to take the love goggles off and realize that that's the dynamic that I had found myself in. Which so many women do find themselves in. It's, it's, It's tough to see outside of that because you're so blinded by them 
Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's so hard to walk away. Yeah. I have friends that are in it right now and I'm like, guys, <laughs> but you're right. Like you can only say so much until that person decides they're done and decides they want to see it. Like there's nothing you can say that's going to pull them out of it. There isn't because I was in it and I have friends who have been in it and I wait until they say, okay, now I need your help. Or now I need to yeah. talk about it. now I'm recognizing that this is what it is and what can I do? Yeah. Um, one of the things that you mentioned also in the book, you had so many um, great quotes is the first step towards personal freedom is self-awareness. I say that to my daughters all the time, um, mm -hmm. not in, not necessarily in those words, but it's so true. And when was it along your trip that you, you started to realize that? I think pretty early on, um, I decided, you know, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to be authentic to myself and to my experiences, I have to meet myself where I am every single day. And if that's wanting to cry for six hours and just sit at home and write, that's what I would do. If that's, if I wanted to go out and explore, go out and party and meet people, that's what I would do. Um, but really being like honest with myself, um, was a, a commitment I made pretty early on. And I think, when you do that, you naturally become very self-aware because you have to constantly check in with yourself, especially when you're solo, because you don't have the distractions of all of these other people and comforts around. So you're becoming very self-aware. And through that, those check-ins with yourself, that's when you can start to really heal. And that's where the freedom comes from. Well, when you were on the trip, you were, you were exploring yourself you were trying to understand who you were, what you wanted, and just allow yourself to be you without anybody else, without trying to please anybody at mm -hmm. all. One of the things you talk about is um, disappointing other people. And how did that change throughout the trip? I, I think I realized that it's always better to disappoint someone else rather than disappoint yourself. Um and I, I still feel that way to this day. And it's, it was such an important lesson for me to learn that instead of, you know, and I'm a people pleaser, instead of, you know, like doing everything for everybody else, if I'm not happy with myself at the end of the day, then it doesn't really matter who else thinks I'm wonderful and who else is like really stoked on something that I did for them because I'm inevitably going to either resent that person or resent myself if I haven't shown up for myself first and foremost. So when you came back home, did you feel that, okay, you felt different because this experience was life-changing? Did you, did you find that you were setting up boundaries based on what you just said that, you know, I'm in the past, you may have been the person who didn't want to disappoint the others yet you would be disappointed. But now mm -hmm. you're like, wait a minute. Nope. This is my life. And it's, this is not for me. Um, well, I think people will read a lot in the sequel, how things went when I came home, I fell into a really big depression. Um, so first and foremost, I had to pull myself out of that. Um, but as far as setting up boundaries, I think when you're first in your, like the beginning of your healing journey and all of it's very new, 
it takes a while to get into that rhythm of doing that and get used right. to that. It's something that you need to practice. practice. It's not something that just happens overnight. Um, if it would, if it was, we'd all be healed very quickly. Yes. Um, and, um, so I think I'd started to, yeah, there, the, I think you see in the sequel, there's times where I like try to set those boundaries and then go back on them or try to, you know, make something very clear for myself and then renege on that for different reasons. Um, but that's part of the journey. It's part of the, the, the growth and the learning. And, um, I, I wouldn't go back and do it any other way. So tell me about the book, the sequel. It's called the ridiculous misadventures of a single girl. Um, I found out very quickly after eat pray FML was released that everyone needed desperately to know what happened after Europe, but I was still living that. So I didn't really have a, an ending to what that part of my life was, was going to be or look like. Um, I ended up starting the sequel in the end of 2019. Um, and it goes eat pray FML as crazy as it sounds like with the divorce and the, the second love affair and the whole Europe trip is three and a half months of my life. Like it was very condensed amount of time. The sequel is all that stuff that happened to you in such a short time. I really, really ridiculous. (laughs) It's it's ridiculous. Um, and the, the sequel is, um, spans over two years of my life. So it's much longer, um, of a, of a time span. And it really is everything that, that went down after Europe. Um, there are some characters from the first book that, that come back and make appearances, um, some more than others. And there are Chris, where's Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chris, right. is, Chris, Chris is in the sequel. Javier okay. is in the sequel. Marcus is in the sequel. Okay. Many of the men come back for, for the sequel. Marcus um, in a sweatshirt. Yep. <laughs> um, and there are also new people that appear in the sequel that are still in my life today. And it, it really, the second book, I think people really connected with it so much because it's a, Eat, Pray, FML finishes and like you feel like you've gone on this journey and I return home and I've gained all this perspective and done all this healing. But the end of Ridiculous Misadventures is really like, and this is where the journey ends of that portion. Um, And it it's a really special book to to go back and and look at because, you know, it it set up my life to where it is now. And it's I couldn't be happier with that. Well, I look forward to reading it and um, tell us about the podcast as well. Yeah. So FML Talk started in the pandemic. Um, Everybody was asking me to start one and I was like, I don't know. Everybody has a podcast. Like I've been a guest on so many, like what am I going to continuously talk about? And five seasons later, here we are. Um, And it's become a really safe space for kind of like a weekly therapy um, with me dropping F-bombs and, you know, being very like blunt and in your face as I am. I talk the same way that I write. It's very like, come and have a glass of wine with me and let's shoot the shit. Um, And I bring some really incredible guests on that um, will tell very powerful stories, but still do it in a fun and lighthearted way. And it's just, it's become a really great way for me to be able to consistently put out content that I know is helping and healing people and stay in touch with, with all the readers that have come my way. Well, 
you inspire me and motivate me and I'm sharing you with everybody. And I'm so grateful that we had the time to get together and talk about your journey and everything that you're doing. So I just have one last question for you before we end the show. And that is, what does it mean for you to live a fearlessly authentic life? Mm, I love that question. Um, I think it means always acting and reacting from a place of truth and whatever that truth is for you. Um, I, I know that it's tough for people, especially when you have kids or a significant other, like to always make sure to put yourself first. But I think that that is so important to make sure you're giving yourself and your soul what you need before you show up for others, because then you know, if you're depleted, you're not showing up for the others the way that you want to anyways. Um, and really knowing that like you came into this world with your soul and that's who your first, your first love and your first dedication should be to. Um, so I think always being conscious of, of making decisions from a place of truth and respect for yourself. I love that. And thank you so, so much for being on the show. Where can people reach out to you? Um, so I'm on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone and I'm on TikTok at Gabrielle underscore Stone. Uh, the books are available exclusively on Amazon. The first is Eat, Pray, FML. The second is The Ridiculous Misadventures of the Single Girl. I also have a self-love healing journal called Fuck Off, I'm Healing. Oh, I love <laughs> um, it. That's kind of like a step-by-step guide to help get you through some some trauma and some healing that you need in your life. Um, all of that can also be found on the website where we have all the merch, which is eatprayfml.com. And the podcast is FML Talk. It is every Wednesday. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. And um, just a joy. Can't wait to read the other book and listen to your podcast more because it's a great podcast. So thank you, Gabrielle Stone. And to everybody who is here sharing this show with us today, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, go live your most fearlessly authentic life. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.